0: The warmer the climate, the higher the chance of having your bike stolen. Okay, maybe that's reading into the facts a little bit. But the fact is, motorcycle theft can be a problem, particularly if it happens to you. And it can and does happen every day to someone, no matter how hard you work to secure it. If a determined industrious thief sets their sights on your ride, it may be gone quicker than it takes to order your triple vente soy no-foam latte. Honestly, I have no idea what that is. When you walk out of Starbucks, though, and you see that empty space where your bike should be, you probably think that the chance of you ever seeing that bike again are are near zero. Well, that may depend on how well you prepared for it. Because if you did it correctly and it works out, you could have your ride back in less time than it takes for you to drink your latte. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Ted Simon. Boston Vance. Simon Paybe. Brian Phil. Jocelyn
1: Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Else Café. Liz Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.
0: Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American made heavy duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com Best Dress Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com Back in uh, April, April 16th, 2020, we had traveler Aaron Steinman on the show. The episode is called Aaron Steinman, A Mostly Unplanned Journey. The link will be in the show notes. When Aaron was near the end of his trip, he stayed at a campground in Australia. And that night, he climbed into bed, thinking all was right in the world. Yet in the morning when he woke up, he found his motorcycle had been stolen. It was right beside his tent. Now, who would have thought? And that's just how it happens, just like that. Because it doesn't really have to be anything in particular. You don't have to be sleeping in a tent. You don't even have to be away from your bike for very long. Thieves need only seconds to nab your motorcycle. According to a report released in August 2020 from the National Insurance Crime Bureau, the NICB, in the U.S., nearly 41,000 motorcycles were stolen in the U.S. in 2019, with California reporting the most, then Florida, then Texas. The warmer the state, the higher the theft rate. Now, nearly half of those motorcycles were recovered, and the good news is that motorcycle thefts have been falling by 12% since uh, 2016, but it's still happening, and who wants it to happen to them? Now, in the UK, motorcycle theft is huge and continues to be a problem, although the number of motorcycles being stolen there are also decreasing. The Met, Metropolitan Police in London, UK, state that thieves only need a matter of seconds to steal your motorcycle, especially if they are poorly secured. Now, there's an endless list of clever ways to try and prevent, maybe deter a thief from stealing your motorcycle. But what about after the fact? What about when the bike is gone? What can you do? Well, luckily, there's some fairly simple and somewhat inexpensive tracking devices that will not only alert you if someone is moving your bike, but also assist you in recovering it after the fact. To discuss possibilities with these trackers and also get some tips on how to deter theft, we're going to begin in the UK where motorcycle theft is a real problem. UK riders are well aware of it. The police have worked hard to crack down on it. And a company called Bike Track has invented a tracking device and a support system that has a stunning success rate of reuniting stolen bikes with their rightful owners.
2: My name is Bill Taylor I'm from a company called BikeTrack. Bike Track based in Milton Keynes, which is just north of London, and we do motorcycle security. Bill, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. I want to start by talking about your office. Can you describe your office? Probably not as grand as one may think. Uh, we're based just outside Silverstone Circuit, where the motor GP and 401 Ones held. About a stone throw away from the circuit itself, and we just have a nice, a nice office, um, with great views over fields, to be fair, actually.
0: Well, that's got to be pretty cool, though, to be right beside the racetrack. I mean, there's there's times of the year normally uh, where that would be very exciting.
2: It is, unless you work, then you're trying to get through the traffic. <laughs> so <true>. there's <laughs> always a different perspective, isn't there? <laughs> when you put it in that angle, it's a it's, you know, it's a wonderful place to go. I've been based there for 18 years now, and my travel to work through the countryside. It's a 30 minute drive. It's beautiful, but when the big events hit town like Formula One or like the Grand Motor GP, traffic just becomes a nightmare and uh, you kind of want to work from home. And those tourists just take over everything, don't they? They're wonderful though, <laughs> but they're very engaging, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you, um, have you
2: been doing this for 18 years with Bike Track? Bike Track I launched 10 years ago. Um, but the previous company I worked for, we were based at Silverstone. So um, it was a previous company called Road Angel. who used to do speed camera locators. And this stemmed from that company. So I've been going up that direction for, say, for 18 years now. So so Bike Track, just give a a brief description of what this is. It's a GPS tracking product, specifically for motorbikes. So we recognize there's many, many tracking products on the market in general, but we wanted to focus on a specific market, i.e. motorbikes. So it's a small little black box. It gets buried into the bike, it's wide in with a, a live earth and a switch feed um, but it takes security to a different level where we have a very high recovery rate but it adds an awful lot of functionality and features for the rider security is generally fairly boring so you're buying it because you're being told to or being asked to buy insurance company or you have a, have a bike that you want you want to keep um, so alarms are brilliant but a bit dated now we we are able to get bikes back within about Two to four hours from when they're being stolen, generally. Wow. Two to four
0: hours. Okay, so hang on. So this is this is security, but it's also a tracker, c- c- doubling as both, because what you're saying there is that boring being uh, a security piece,
2: which is great, maybe necessary, necessity, depending on where you live, but you can also use it as a tracking device. So, yeah. So we, we, we kind of have three main features. Ultimately, it's a stolen recovery solution. So if the bike's moved for more than 20 seconds without the ignition being turned on, the owner gets a text and email and a telephone call as well. Then we work with the police if it's been stolen to get a swift recovery. The customer can log into an app or the website, see where their own bike is, so they can interact with it. They can see that it's working. They get notifications if the battery goes flat. They'll be able to view journeys and share them with friends as well. Um, so when we launched this 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of tracking solutions out there to see where you've been. Your Mm. phone could do it or the certain apps. So we wanted to try and make security a bit more interesting. Hence, we've added these additional features.
0: makes sense because, you you know, you've already got the device there. You're just adding some functionality to make it so it's a, a fun thing as well as functional. Exactly. Okay, I, I like this. Now, we're interested in the, in the security aspect of it because we're talking about bike thefts. And first of all, what do you know about bike thefts? Do, do you actually know much about statistics
2: and about how it's done? So, for sure, in the UK, um, a typical MO would generally be the bike stolen and moved within about a mile from where it's stolen from and left. Um, so, if this is still there when the thieves get back, then it hasn't got a track of it, they've got away with it. It was be recovered when the thieves come back. Um, the customer gets the bike back and the thieves have still got away with it. But we tend to find that bikes tend to be broken for parts. Um, I'm not sure, certainly in the UK, if a car is written off or stolen and the the identity of that car gets shredded, it doesn't happen the same with the motorbikes. So you're able to buy a V5 document and a frame, for example, um, and then you can build your own bike off the back of that.
0: So if it, potentially it could be stolen you buy it and you just go in and tell them you're starting from a frame?
2: No, sorry. So let's say, for example, um, so let, me back, let me backtrack quickly. So a typical MO for theft is the bike stolen and broken down for parts, um, so a tank or um, swinging arm and things of that nature. But you can buy frames from scrapyards with a V5 document. So if you pick up yourself up, because you want to maybe do a track day, so you would not have a track bike, And then it gives you a base to work on, then you could buy your engine and bike accessories to build around it. But unfortunately thieves tend to buy a a frame, steal a bike, and then you have a cloned bike. So when you sell it to a dealer, they don't tend to have, not not everyone's able to check the engine number to compare the VIN number. Right. Because they're too buried. So we, we tend, and also certainly in London, for example, we had a spell where scooters were being stolen. High powered scooters, um, but using for well, say minor crime, but drug runs, phone snatching, and things of that nature, because people could get around on them quickly. So we've certainly taken a turn in the UK where it, the police are being a lot more stricter and harder in being able to try and stop thieves on scooters and bikes.
0: How how common are trackers like yours on motorcycles? In other words, for the thief out there, for you know, out of ten bikes, how many of them are going to have trackers?
2: A probably good 40 percent now are, are, are supplied with with trackers from for manufacturers. Um, they're fitted potentially aftermarket, but the industry for tracking for the last six or seven years has definitely grown. I think initially people are used to were used to alarms, and then tracking was big in the car market, but the motorcycle market was a little bit behind. Uh, and but now it's proven it has it proved it does what it says. On the tin, we do get a good success rate people's aptitude changes towards it. So it's certainly grown an awful lot more because insurance companies will offer a discount potentially for it as well. Uh, and they have a good high success rate of getting a bike back. You said three to four hours on average. Gen- so yeah, to get to, for a recovery on average. So mm-hmm. Generally, it's soon. I'm trying to be modest. Um, generally, it's about an hour. <laughs>
0: So what, what you're doing is you're seeing the bike being moved, the key in the ignition. This is where the thief, the modem operandi that the, the thief has, is that they grab the bike, they ride it somewhere, like you said, a mile away, went over a little over a kilometre, 1.6 kilometres. They dump the bike and they sort of sit back and wait for somebody to come running up to recover their bike because it has a tracker. When they don't show up, that's when they go back and, and pilfer it or, or throw it in a van
2: and take it somewhere to break it apart. Yes. In in the UK, we have a um, ped theft. Is been quite rife so that basically means you um there's two up on a bike and the pillion will jump off jump on the bike they want to steal and they use the powered vehicle to push away the the bike they want to steal so if you're dressed up in they look they got the helmet on they got all the gear on so it's very difficult to recognize that that bike being stolen isn't powered it's just being pushed along pushing it what like with their foot sticking out Exactly. So I put the rear foot peg down on the passenger's or the, the pillion peg, for example, um, and the pillion will put their foot on the peg and put, use use the engine on the scooter to push the vehicle away.
0: Wow. So they're, they're really good. Now, what about other things like steering lock, for instance? I'm sorry to say they can be snapped fairly easily. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? I've seen videos of it. And the first time I saw the video, I still remember looking at it going, what?
2: You mean to say it's that easy? Yeah, they're, they're a great deterrent, um, but unfortunately, thieves have. I wish they would use their intelligence as something good. They would mm, do magnificent they're, work. They're, engineering. they're um very, very much so. Yeah. Um, so they tend to snap the steering up fairly easily, and uh, we find a lot of customers because of the nature of the way the, the bikes are built and snapping the steering lock. Sometimes that can damage the frame, um, and sometimes that can write the bike off oh, because it could wow. twist the frame. It could be do a bit more damage than into sort of snapping the steering lock itself. Uh, so some customers don't lock their bikes, don't use a steering lock at all because they've had bad experiences.
0: Or oh, they would rather that somebody take it and they recover it in the hour, hopefully, rather than, yes. um, I guess, because it's, it's a minimal amount of security, isn't it? I mean, it literally takes seconds to break. That's the trouble with motorbikes. You know, two or three
2: guys could lift a bike.
0: Well, and, and that's what I was going to ask you, is, is uh, other methods they use, um, they're picking them up and throwing them in vans, I understand.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that's um, that's quite popular as well. Probably not so much so. Um, certainly pushing the bike away, they 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 seem to, in in the big cities, London, Birmingham, things, um, big cities in the UK, that's a, certainly a popular popular way. Throwing in the back of the van does happen. Um, probably more of the late hour at night when the roads are a bit quieter as well. Mm-hmm. So how does Bike Track work? So we have a small device, a bit smaller than a pack of cigarettes. Um, it gets fitted onto the bike by a dealer. Uh, it's wired in um, with a live earth and a switch feed. So when you turn the ignition on, that would disarm the device. And then when you turn the ignition off, it arms itself after a couple of minutes. So from the customer, from the rider's point of view, there's there's nothing they have to do about arming and disarming. It's no fobs or anything. So the... Um, the bike's moved without the ignition being turned on for more than 20, 25 seconds. The owner will get a text and email. It could be a false alarm because they're wheeling it out the garage or it's been stolen. So at which point our call centre will call them just to verify either way. If it's been stolen, we ask the customer to call the police to get a crime number and then they'll call our monitoring centre back and the monitoring centre will liaise with the police to give them a, a real-time location. What makes us a little different to some products of the market is lots of different technology that's, that are used in tracking devices. GPS is the main one because that shows you a real-time location. We also use RF, which is also known as uh, radio frequency. Um, because bikes are quite small, they can be hidden. So in the back of a van, like you've mentioned, uh, sometimes in a container. Um, we've recovered a bike in a second floor flat in London my colleague, we've covered a Ducati 899. So we're able to use RF to actually locate it down to a meter. So two weeks ago, I was in a container yard and um, we knew the bike was there. Uh, and I had to, over 200 containers. Um, and if I had to pick one that would allow me to open. So we did it within about half an hour and got the bike back. And there were some other parts as well in there that looked like they might have been chopped off other bikes. So this is
0: like a radio pr- transmitting from the bike, transmitting this RF signal, which I assume is probably very high frequency to, to get through walls and things. And then yes. you're going around with a receiver and trying to find the signal, That this is a, a hands-on operation.
2: Correct, yes.
0: Right. And so to get that kind of service with that, with that RF, is that something the person can do themselves or is that, that obviously takes a special receiver?
2: That's something that's a part of the service we offer. So that when a customer buys one of our devices, there is a an ongoing subscription, and that just covers the full service for the cust for the rider.
0: Now, is that only in the UK, or, or where is it uh, available? Bike track.
2: We are just in the UK.
0: Okay, so in the UK, you offer the service where you actually send somebody down, and, and you're using a a direction finder to find where this is coming from. Now, how does it transmit outside of a of a container? I, I saw that on when I was looking at these this information before the interview, and I thought. A container is an RF block, you know, if it's a full metal container. How do you get a signal out of a container?
2: No, it's not lead-lined. That's, uh, that's a myth. Um, so, for example, a container is, it still has seams around where the door hinges are, uh, and we're able to get a, a frequency through it, same uh-huh. as a garage or a brick. Um, there's no trouble. When, when the police get to a location, unless they can see the bike, there's not a lot they can do. So with using this, if there's a parade of garages, we can isolate it down to a meter to help us get a search warrant.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So you isolate what container it's in, then somebody goes off and gets a search warrant. I'm assuming you're dealing with the police at this point. And then they open it up and and there it is. Yes. Why is it in a container?
2: It's out of sight, out of mind. I I just wanted to store it somewhere. Oh, I see. So just storage, not like it's getting ready to go on a ship. No, no. These we've. I think in ten years we've had, I believe, three bikes leave the UK soil. Uh, one ended up in Lithuania, which we were able to recover. I think the other two ended up in. Oh, one's in Afghan. Uh, to be fair, that one's actually stayed in Afghan. We didn't. We didn't get that one back. Um, and I think the other one was Italy, which we have recovered as well.
0: What's the percentage of recovery? So what can someone expect? The chance we've got a we've seen so 10
2: years we've got a 94% recovery
0: rate 94% that's amazing so you, you, insurance should be just about free at that point then as far as <laughs> as far as the theft component the insurance company just saying no if you have bike track they have a 94% uh, success rate
2: uh, so we'll only charge you for the six it does make a big difference to insurance but um I, I, i'm trying to uh, education is a big thing for me for learning for for people to understand that things like insurance there's so many factors that are taken into account, um, and although if someone's on a lowest premium because they've got a depending on their bike they have, where they live, their age, there's a lot of different aspects that go into it. Um, it, it does; it can get between five and fifteen percent discount off their insurance for sure.
0: No, mm, it's yeah, some sort of savings, and, and, and what is the uh,
2: subscription cost? We offer four different options, um, so you can buy a year, which is ninety nine pounds. Two years at one hundred and seventy nine three years at two hundred and twenty nine or there's a monthly solution at nine pounds ninety
0: nine mm, well, I don't know what you're paying for for motorcycle insurance in the u k but you could certainly take that off of um, uh, you know that, t- take your discount and use it towards your your monthly uh, fee very much so yes. So you've got a, you've got a bike protection device with, um, with bike track and you also have a way to record your journeys and and share those. And I I assume this connects to social media, et cetera. And you have an app on your phone.
2: Correct. Technically you could use our device on a car or a trailer or a caravan or anything you want to, but we just want to specifically aim at one market and be good at that instead of like a scattergun approach where you could use one product for everything.
0: Hmm. I know, I'm sure you've thought of this before, but why not just a, a rebrand with a slightly different
2: name for you know, the same product for a different industry? To a certain extent, we we have done that, but we changed the features. We have an ATV product for quad bikes. Oh. Um, so we work closely with uh, with all the manufacturers in the UK for ATV, quad side-by-sides. Um, Polaris, for example, fit us to all the equipment in the UK. So we changed the feature set slightly for that as well. So for lone workers, so if you're a farmer, you have staff, you can see where this team is. Um, and again, if it rolls over, if you have an accident, God forbid, uh, the system will alert a manager or someone to let them know they're in trouble.
0: So what about other ways? I mean, I, re- I realized, you know, this is going to be you know, sort of the, I guess the ultimate thing, but what are the ways, what other deterrents do you recommend for riders out there to use um, on their motorcycles to prevent or at least mitigate the
2: chance of being stolen, ripped off? There's a few options. Certainly, when you're at home, um, there's some good solutions. So, a good ground anchor, um, a good lock and chain. Oh, hang on, a ground anchor. Explain that. So, ground anchor. Um, generally, well, we we do one ourselves, which, which is a drop forged steel um, with a, a hoop, uh, and then they're normally mounted into the ground. So, it's like an anchor point, if you like. Um, Although they call ground anchors, we actually recommend them going on a wall if possible Mm. Um, so if you do have a chain you're able to use it as an anchor point if it's raised off the floor then it's harder to cut so if it's on the floor you can put your foot on it you can use angle grind or uh, 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 bolt coppers but if it's raised it makes it harder to cut um, oh, that's interesting. So these are these are things that you, you're only going to do this in your own place.
0: You're going to concrete this thing into the ground, particularly if it's raised above the ground, which is a bit of a hazard for anything else. It has to be in a spot where you're just going to park the bike.
2: That's the key. That's mm-hmm. that's the only challenge. Yes. So maybe in the corner of a garage or wherever you can park, and you can park. You're going to park frequently. I um, say so generally having it wall mounted. You do get some that are raised already. Um, you can get them made like that, but they are normally bolted into the wall. Um, the One we supply in the UK, it comes with uh, drill bit resin capsules, which is a good way of securing the bolts into the ground. And then you can get little ball bearings that tap into the top of the bolt so you can't undo them mm. just to make it a bit more secure. Right. So it's a, it's a uh,
0: Torx fitting or something like that, uh, internal cap screw. And then you drive something in there permanently to make it so you can't take them out. Exactly correct, yeah. yeah. You mentioned about, so you can get your, you mentioned if it was a longer chain, you put your foot on it, etc. What's the deal with that? Well, why does a shorter chain make it better?
2: Well, the, the chain, not so much a shorter chain, sorry, it was more just an elevated chain mm. um, because it's harder to cut. Again, the length, it gives them less, less purchase or less area to play with, if you like. Um, we also recommend, if you can, putting a chain through your back wheel. Um, because you, sometimes with front wheels you can take the um, bolt out in the middle and the wheel comes out so they occasionally, we've known it in the past, um, thieves can bring a spare wheel, literally um, take out the front wheel because the chain's only gone through the wheel itself unhook the bike, literally just take the bolt out, put a new wheel on, and off they go so going through the rear wheel, that's a lot harder to do mm-hmm. uh, and using disc, lock, disc locks as well, they're very good but Disc, we always just think of the front brake disc, but put them through the rear sprocket if you have one. My bike's a tra- uh, uh, shaft-driven, but if you put them through the rear sprocket, it's a lot harder to to take out, like that, be attacked to.
0: I like that. Okay, so instead of not the rear disc, the rear sprocket itself. So you can't just yes. push this thing down the road, or yeah,
2: no, I, I like that. That's the key. That you know, it's as I mentioned earlier, the the. Unfortunately, just pushing them away is a typical MO. But if you just make that element a lot harder, um, that makes you know it makes it, their life an awful lot trickier. Mm-hmm. So again, if in, unfortunately it's only in the UK, we offer a, a grab bag and chain solution which straps the pillion seat. The chain's only ten mil, but the whole kit weighs four kilos, and the whole idea is that you enable enables you to carry it with you. You know, long gone are the days of being able to carry a chain around your torso and. Um, God forbid something goes wrong, that could make a bit of a mess. So mm. there are other companies that do similar solutions as well. Um, but it, when you're away from home, it just allows you to make it a bit more secure. Some of these chains have a have a case over them, like a fabric case, which I, I assume is Kevlar. So they're not actually Kevlar. Funny uh, enough, that's actually something we looked into. Um, but the trouble is the weakest link of the chain are the N2 links.
0: Of course.
2: Yeah, it's funny. So, Things
0: like that can look so good. And and if you're not into, you know, understanding exactly how, how thieves are working, it's like those ones that you put in the car on the steering wheel and, you know, there's big clubs. And and I remember they were very big at one point. And then all of a sudden you realize that once the word gets out, they just take a hacksaw out of the steering wheel, pop it out, throw it on the ground. It takes some seconds, really. Like, you know, 30 seconds or sort of think 20
2: seconds. I think so lot of things look, things have moved on you know again we don't so we don't specialize in cars but you know with cars becoming more keyless now there's an awful lot of technology that they're cloning the keys so you know that sometimes the old fashioned um steering wheel lock and things like that are probably better nowadays than they were 20 years ago
0: oh i see yeah, because um, I, I understand that because of the wireless keying, people are walking away pressing
2: their key locks, and and people are intercepting that signal. Exactly, and yeah. they're also using equipment so they can stand. You know, most people tend to leave their keys at you know on a hook near the front door, um, so they use a transmitter by the front door to enhance the signal from the key to close the key.
0: Yeah, now that is bizarre. So so what happens there is the thief comes up with this piece of equipment to your door. You're inside the house. You don't even you don't even know they're there. They come to the door. They scan it. Uh, they somehow get the, the code, the electronic identification from it. Then they go out and steal your car and it's gone right while you're sitting at home. Yeah. Never touch your key.
2: Although motorbikes are keyless, again, but, but very few motorbikes are stolen with a key. Very, yeah. very few. You know, a typical MO is they just push it away or they lift it. Um, So, you know, it's that that kind of technology. For The motorbike thief is a little bit behind, shall we say, the car thief.
0: Well, that's nice to know. (laughs) In this case, it's nice to
2: know. A long way behind. (laughs) So what else? Uh, Cover it as well. Um, We've experienced that if they just don't know what they're looking at, you know, sometimes they could be spooked by uh, lights, but if it's covered up, they just tend to drive past. Mm-hmm. not all the time but it helps you know it's out of sight out of mind in a way again so if you can put a lock, a cover over it with a lock on the front or rear wheel you know it just gives them less chance to, to be nosy yeah. And
0: that's a piece of advice we often hear for people traveling as well. Take a any sort of cover with you. A junkie cover is a better one. And that way, when you go in somewhere, park your bike, you throw the cover on it. And just the fact that it's, you know, they can't see it, that they're not sort of caught by, oh, what's that? Uh, fastened to your bike, et cetera. It's just a little, uh, little another little layer that they have to go through. And so if there's another bike down the way that's easier to get at, they'd probably go to that one or or anything else that's easier to get at if it's just a common
2: thief. Yes. We work quite closely in the UK with a company called DataTag. Um, they tend to they have a more marking solution as well. And the tube, our tracking product and their product worked well. So they, they're very good in... I know they've had many, many stories, success stories of... of God forbid the bike's been stolen, a bit broken down. Um, but they're able to identify the owner by parts of the bike, like the swinging arm or seat and things like that. And there was a raid in the UK uh, in the, uh, up north in the UK, of a scrapyard. I think 25 bikes were recovered from, or parts of bikes were recovered from London, mm-hmm. all because of that. So it's just another, again, another layer.
0: It doesn't help much, though, if somebody recovers the parts on you, though, does it? <laughs> I mean, it does The but, police but, phone up and say, hey, we've got your swing arm. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> help very me true. much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we did have a scenario many years ago, um, a chap you may aware of, Charlie Borman. Yeah, we've had him on the show. Um, yeah, oh, well, unfortunately, his bike was stolen, uh, one one of his bikes many years ago, and we recovered it. Um, but the number plate had been taken off, and the clocks had been removed as well. Mm. Um, so, data tag, unfortunately, well, that was that, and also the VIN number, et cetera, was a way of identifying the bike at the time. right. So you're right. It's a, it doesn't help at the time, but it does help sometimes afterwards because they do remove number plates and try and lose what identity they can with the bike. It's just another way of identifying the bike.
0: Yeah, and, and so if you don't have and- theft insurance on your bike, that could at least be something getting you know getting the bike back even if, even if it is damaged.
2: Very much, and f- again for. But when I, when I do shows, we, we get asked lots of questions and some customers say, well, if it's stolen, I don't want it back, um, which, you know, I can understand. But if you at least get it back and allow the insurance company to, you know, uh, settle with you, they're not paying out a 10, 15,000 pound sterling or dollar payout. At mm-hmm. least that, you know, it minimizes their expense. So your insurance isn't going to be hit as bad. The other thing with
0: that is that, that you're sort of perpetuating the whole industry if you sort of allow it to be stolen. You don't say, well, forget it. If it's stolen, you know, don't worry about it. Just the act that they'll get tracked down and they may get caught with this thing, being that they have a tracker on it, I think does something to at least, you know, sort of hem the industry in a little bit. And when I say industry, I mean the theft industry.
2: Very much it does. It's a much, it's a much better way and much more effective way. Of, of honing in on on thieves mm-hmm. you know we do get results we do get thefts more much more so now than several years ago because the technology just wasn't there
0: any other tips on on uh, on, on keeping the bike safe
2: uh that's pretty much it i think um you just use the rear wheel where you can with a chain lock and chain it's a, it's just a lot harder
0: now, I, I was going to ask about the, because you, you mentioned you know chaining it up and chaining it to a, a ground anchor, etc. What are the methods that the thieves are using? What are the co- these common methods are using to steal the bike?
2: If it's got a lock and chain on it, um, they tend to use an angle grinder, hmm. so they were able to just to cut through the chain fairly swiftly. I have recovered a BMW with the front disc actually cut where the disc lock was. Oh, wow. so they actually cut two slices in the disc itself slot the disc lock out and wheel it away that tends to be the MO but they just um, very rarely are they brazen enough to hijack the bike so to speak at a set of lights it has happened one of my customers um, squirted with uh, acid thankfully went over his jacket um, but we got the bike back within half an hour wow. so but generally it's parked it's stolen from where it's parked
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I've also read that um, with, with thieves, uh, they'll never keep the bike with them. You know, so if they're if they're stealing the bikes, they're setting them somewhere else. They're they're hiding them. And you mentioned that as well. Like at least to begin with, to see if it's being tracked, they'll dump it somewhere. But even afterwards, it's not like they're going to take it
2: as their home. In in most uh, instances, you'd be surprised. Oh, really? <laughs> You'll be surprised what some people do. <laughs> they, 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 yeah, they're they they're not always the sharpest uh, sharpest cookie in the book, shall we say. But um, they, we have had them at homes and, uh, and confronting parents, things like that, but not very often. They do just tend to leave them at workshops or take them to workshops, say sorry, or body shops or scrap yards.
0: Uh, now, are you a rider as well? Yes, yes, I am. Have you ever had your bike stolen? Thankfully not. I no, never had to deal with that? No. But you must have a lot of people very grateful <laughs> to you when, when they get their bike back.
2: We, we've we've done well over the years. We've had a, so we've had a high success rate, which has been very very flattering. When we see customers at shows, customers just like to walk up and thank us for for their service, or we've been able to get their bike back.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty amazing. Well, I, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And it's a shame that it's not available in North America because I think it would be very popular here. So you know, if you ever get the inkling to come over here, I think it'd be a good idea.
2: Very, I agree with you. I agree. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for your time.
0: Bill Taylor is from Bike Track in the UK. His website is biketrack.co.uk and track is just with a C, forget the K. Of course, that link and some photos along with some extra information is in the show notes for this episode on our website. Just two little metal buttons can make all the difference between Fatigue and comfort for us riders. And those are two firm positive buttons located on the Atlas Throttle Lock. The Atlas Throttle Lock is a stunning piece of equipment that clamps unobtrusively to your handlebar and allows you to set your throttle position as you ride. Then you can relax. I have one on my bike and unlike every other throttle lock I've tried, the Atlas has a firm engage and disengage in those two buttons that only require you lifting your thumb There are other types of locks in the market, and I've not seen anything that works as well, efficiently or accurately, as the Atlas Throttle Lock. Their website is atlasthrottlelock.com. Don't forget when you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, atlasthrottlelock.com. When you ride with IMS Products foot pegs, you are taking advantage of over 40 years of experience building parts for motorcyclists just like you. If you're riding fire roads or back roads mixed with maybe plenty of highway, you should have a look at the ADV1 and ADV2 foot pegs from IMS. They are all made from the same incredibly tough 17-4 stainless steel. They all have the incredible design and engineering behind them that IMS puts into all of their foot pegs. Matter of fact, all of their products. They look great. But more importantly, they're going to give you the increased leverage to maneuver that loaded adventure bike. And if you're riding tight trails, maybe more aggressively, check out the IMS products Core Rally and Core Enduro. Oversized, but smaller than the ADV1 and ADV2, with a more aggressive tooth to keep your feet planted when the going gets really tough. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Turkana Gear is a new motorcycle luggage company founded by experienced riders and travelers that felt there was something missing in the market. Uh, Mickness and LSB Olivier from Peaky Peaky Overland and a few others have got together and combined their their travel experience and design experience to make luggage that they say is tough, durable, long-lasting, and affordable. Their idea was to to, uh, design luggage that exceeds the requirements for the task, lasts for years, yet doesn't break the bank. So it leaves you more money for doing what you love to do, ride, of course. Soft panniers, dry bags, duffel bags, and handlebar bags. Gear designed for travel. The website is turkanagear.com. Of course, anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. Turkana is T U R K A N A, turkanagear.com. Well, here's another motorcycle tracker. This one covers the world and is a, a small self-contained battery-operated unit that you don't have to wire this one in, again, to help with your recovery of the motorcycle after the fact, invented in Lithuania and um, coming at the problem from a different
1: angle. My name is Bruno. I'm from Lithuania, that's uh, Northern Europe, and I'm one of three co-founders of Monimoto. At Monimoto, we do GPS and GSM anti-theft trackers for motorcycles.
0: So Monimoto, what exactly is this?
1: Monimoto is a I would say the the gadget electronics device, which is uh, which doesn't have any wires or anything you know to think about. and this combination helps people to retrieve the stolen assets, namely motorcycles. Uh, some people use it for for you know for ATVs or snow uh, bikes, but we primarily designed it for motorcycle owners.
0: Now, can you describe this thing what it looks like?
1: Well, it's a small tube, I would say. Uh, I, I'm not, uh, well, I'm not very well about imperial units, but it's 13 centimeters long and three centimeters in diameter. So the diameter the is about an inch and a quarter, I would say. And the length is about, what, uh, five inches, I guess.
0: Yeah, so it's quite a tiny piece. And then you've got another little uh, disc that you put on your key ring.
1: Yeah, it's a really tiny uh, uh Key fob, we call it key fob, it's a proximity key. So once it's near the, the main unit which is hidden in the mo- uh, motorcycle, so it uh, kind of disables the the arm mode or doesn't let you know the alarm to go off and uh, you know start calling you or so. Because you know, we designed it actually, this key fob to to be part of the system because we when we were testing you know other competitor devices, it, it's kind of you know irritating when you start driving, you know, motorcycle. And you get calls, you know, in the, in the pocket, or you get some notifications coming into your pocket, even though you are driving the motorcycle yourself. So we said, okay, there should be some way to disarm, you know, the system automatically or arm it automatically. So this is how we came up with this proximity key, uh, well, thing.
0: So in, in basic terms here, we're we're talking about this small cylindrical tube that you hide on your bike somewhere under the seat, wherever you can find a spot for it. I assume that this thing is waterproof.
1: Yeah, it is. It's okay. it's not like waterproof. It's I would say splash proof. Oh, not okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so this tube you hide it on your bike somewhere. You've got the key fob that you keep on your on your key ring. What are we looking at? How does how does this thing work?
1: So, uh, you know the the device which is uh, hidden inside of a motorcycle is actually uh well sleeping all the time because you know we are powering the device solely on batteries so and these batteries are up for a year or so so we have to save the energy as as well as we can and uh, uh, you know just a very tiny part of the system is always uh, alive and it's checking the motion and the vibration and all the other you know sensors and when it's moving so the uh, the device is waking up yet another subsystem and says okay is my owner nearby so it's looking for this you know proximity key key fob so and uh, you know if the key is around so the system says okay the owner is near and we could go uh, we can go back to sleep again and you know this is the the owner is while well, moving the motorcycle or so and if the key fob is not found around so that essentially means that uh, the device is waking up, it's waking up all the, uh, you know, GPS system, the GSM system, and it starts, you know, tracing down the location where it's at and then so on. So then it becomes a regular GPS tracker.
0: Which means that, so it detects that the owner isn't around and somebody's yes. trying to pick up the bike. What does it do?
1: Uh, first... Uh, you know, the, when we were designing this, uh, you know, system, we found out that the fastest, you know, thing to do, because the time is crucial in, in in case of theft. So the fastest thing to do is to make a call. So we are initiating a call from the device itself, from MoriMoto, to directly to the owner's uh, cell. So it's it's an empty call. It doesn't say anything, but the this is you know designed to get your attention. Uh, so that's, uh, phase number one, phase number two, we are looking for GPS location in some cases, you know, if, uh, let's say the, the bike is inside of a van, which is, uh, you know, uh, well, well prepared for a set, I would say, you know, uh, it's, uh, it has some, you know, uh, metal sheets, uh, surroundings, and maybe it has some, uh, GPS, uh, jammer or, or, or so. So, you know, it, it will be looking for GPS location for maximum five minutes. So if it does find it like within a minute or so, of course, it will send it directly to the, uh, the Moto, Moto app, which sits on, on the owner's uh, uh, smartphone. If it doesn't find the location within uh, five minutes on GPS, it's uh, turning to, you know, uh, the GSM Network's assisted location uh, search, which is not that accurate as GPS, but it's, it's still something, you know, it could be as accurate as uh, 50 meters, and it could be as inaccurate as, um, I don't know, five miles. So it depends, you know, on uh, if it's in a city where the, the, the density of uh, the communication towers is, is high, so it's, uh, the, the, the accuracy is high. If it's uh, somewhere, you know, outside, so, you know, outside of the cities, so yeah, it's, uh, the accuracy is low. But still, it's like phase number one, the call, phase number two, GPS location, if not the, the GSM assisted uh, uh, approximate location. And uh, then we are constantly updating it on the app. So you can call the authorities and you can uh, go then, you know, when calling the authorities, by the way, you should say that, okay, I got a, you know, live tracking device and it's a case of theft going on. So then the authorities are reacting uh, much faster than they would be normally doing. And then you are just, you know, uh, providing them with the current location of the device. And it's, uh, uh, it's between one and five minutes depending on, on how you choose, you know, uh, to track it. The, the, the more frequent, uh, the, the, you know, tracking, of course, the, the faster the battery drains. So it's up to the situation, you know, to decide whether you want to track it every five minutes or every one minute in case of theft.
0: So this is a pretty clever setup that you've got where if it, if it can't get GPS because it's inside the the vehicle and doesn't have a clear shot at the satellites in the sky, then it's still picking up cell signals because that radio wave tends to come through the windows and bounce around. So you've still got something there, at least to work on, maybe to give you a rough idea so that when the vehicle is pulled out, when your motorcycle's pull out of whatever it's in, that it might get a GPS connection. How fast does it get a GPS connection if it's in the clear?
1: Well, there are so many moving parts. So, you know, our tests were showing between 30 something seconds and up to, I would say 10 minutes in the worst, worst case uh, scenario. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, well, as I said, you know, after five minutes, we ditch, you know, the GPS thing, we turn to GSM, uh, and then, you know, we are providing approximate location first, and then we are turning back to, to GPS, uh, to, 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 to look for it again. So on average, I think it's like one or two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's so- something which I could, you know, kind of promise.
0: So um, it, it seems fairly simple to me, the, the whole setup. You've, you've got the, the little small tube that you hide on your motorcycle somewhere. I assume you have instructions on, on advising where to hide this thing. You've got the key fob on your key ring to tell the bike that it's you riding the bike. And you've got an app you download on your phone to do the tracking, etc. What happens if you don't have the app? Do, do you still get a phone call?
1: Yeah, so you will get uh, a phone call in any case. Uh, so the device, you know, once, uh, once doing the installation, you still need a smart uh, you know, smartphone and Monomoto app. So the whole installation process is like any other, I would say, gadget. So you need an app. With an app, you are providing the, your, your uh, cell number and, uh, you know, some other details. And this is, you know, how your uh, account on our service is being created. If you lose that, you know, phone, and you just, you know, happen to have, I don't know, some old style uh, Nokia, uh, with the same uh, number, phone number, so yes, it, it it will call to, you know, your uh, your phone. The problem is that, uh, you know, you won't be uh, seeing the app, and you won't be getting a location. So I, I'm not sure if I'm uh, understanding your question. Right. But yeah, this is uh, yeah. No,
0: that's, that's it. And then is there is there an online app like can they log in somewhere and do it on their computer as well? Track it?
1: No, we just do it on, on the app.
0: Strictly on the app. But you, you mentioned the batteries in here. This thing that you're not wiring this thing in, you're basically just hiding it somewhere, fastening it to the bike and the batteries last year. What kind of batteries are we looking at?
1: So in any case, uh, uh, we are now projecting or, uh, you know, finalizing the new version of the device and then uh, the current versions, uh, all of them use lithium ion batteries. And that's the, the, one of the, I would say, limitations and also, you know, uh, advantages that we have. So, you know, uh, if we would be uh, doing the rechargeable batteries uh so the device would be like twice as small as uh, as it is but we kind of you know decided to to go uh, with this we will do on the primary batteries which means they are not rechargeable uh but you can get them you know on amazon on 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 the photo camera stores and so on so this is you know lithium ion uh, batteries and then uh, we uh, you know at cur- with current version we use uh, cr 123 I'm not sure if it does say, you know, anything to you, but uh, still, you can, you know, find them on, uh, as I said, on on, on some, you know, photo stores and Amazon. And, uh, you know, these batteries have high capacity of uh, power. So this is why we chose them. How do you know when the battery is getting low? Is that displayed in the app? Sure, sure. There are notifications with the different threshold levels, like 20% and 10%. So they are uh, warning you.
0: Okay. So you've you've got a device that's hidden on your bike. You've got the the key fob on you. If this thing is communicating with you, it must be going through some sort of cell service, I assume. Yeah, it is. And can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. Okay. So the the GSM part. So normally uh, we are shipping the device with the SIM card in it, which we provide. So, you know, this is... Initially, we did it because we uh, wanted people to have as simple solution as possible. So this SIM card, which comes with the device, enables, you know, people to install the model, model within five minutes or so. So we needed this connectivity, which, uh, you know, would enable the device to reach our servers from any, you know, point uh, in the world. So, uh, yeah, and we do uh, use our roaming partners all over the world. So basically one SIM card uh, ensures that the device works everywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, up till now we were saying, okay, you can use or you can choose your own SIM card. But then we found that people, you know, some people are trying to save, we charge about uh, uh, three euros. So that's about $4 a month. So about uh, even less, actually, it's about $40 a year. So, uh, you know, some people find uh, maybe some other better deals and they are trying to use their own SIM cards and we are okay with that. The problem is that they then we cannot help them, you know, with the, uh, some certain customer service uh, tools in case of, you know, theft or some, some, uh, some issues like technical, uh, technical issues and so on. And uh, we said, okay, our like best combination that we could, uh, you know, make is provide our own SIM cards. And then, you know, make everything on customer support level, on, on, you know, product design level and pricing as well in a way that people don't have any motivation to, you know, to remove our SIM card, which, uh, you know, then enables us to provide even more value for them. So the price for that is, uh, as I said, is about $40 a year.
0: So it's kind of like a monitoring service, I guess, um, which doesn't seem like an awful lot of money at all to me for the year's use. But so if if somebody was to buy one in the U.S. or Canada, for that matter, it's going to come with a SIM card and it's going to be ready to go.
1: Yes. So currently we do sell in the U.S. We don't sell to Mexico or Canada. In Canada, there are, uh, you know, these permanent roaming restrictions by law. And uh, we are now working on... uh, on it, you know, to to uh, to have a local Canadian uh, uh, telecom partner, to to you know to to be able to offer it, because you know otherwise any uh, just for information any device which is not uh, like local for uh, at Canadian uh, mobile networks, it will be banned within the three to six months of usage. So the the networks are just banning the whole device, email, uh, you know number, and then you cannot do anything. So. Initially, two years ago, we were selling to Canada. Now we are not because we were looking for, for technological solution, how to, you know, uh, to avoid this kind of issue. And of, as of Mex- Mexico, we were having some pricing issues because the the uh, connectivity was so, you know, costly in, in Mexico. We decided to, you know, to stop shipping to devi- our devices to Mexico. And we are about to fix that, uh, you know, this summer.
0: You just mentioned that in Canada, you're talking about the SIM cards being um, cut off if they're not used. Is, is that if they're even if they're sitting there, um, like on the network? I, I'm 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 not really sure how the whole system works, but I mean, usually when you get a phone, you activate your phone, you pay your monthly fee, and that stops it from getting shut off. But if you stop paying your fee, like if it was a it was a prepaid phone, you stop paying your fee, you leave it sit and then that sim card ends up be going going dormant after a certain period of time why would that happen with yours when it's still active
1: the the canadian stuff is a bit uh, you know complex uh, stuff so in the world there are a few countries which are uh, having this telecommunication law which restricts Roaming devices. That means they, they, you know, the the SIM cards were not purchased within this territory. So the SIM purchaser didn't show the ID or passport, you know, to the uh, telecommunic- telecommunication company, and, and it cannot be traced back in in case of you know some attack or terrorism or whatsoever. So in essence, you uh, let's say you have the uh, Verizon's uh, contract, uh, you have it in the US, and you move to Canada. So you just you know move to Canada, you still are okay to use Verizon's roaming, you know, and I, I believe so. But after uh, you know some period of time, your uh, you know your phone should be banned from the local uh, uh, network because of this law. Oh wow, I didn't know that. It's it's you know crazy because I I, I heard that uh, Verizon and of course AT and they are working on you know how to to solve this you know maybe to to. To provide some user data to, to make sure that you know the, the law is not infringed but you know it's it, it's crazy but it's like this and we are now uh building the solution for canada yeah
0: do you have any stats on success rates with your product with money moto
1: <laughs> well you know it, it it depends you know on on what is uh, success here so as of uh, you know the cases uh theft cases or or, or, or successful retrieval cases, I think we have them above uh, 20. Most of them coming from UK, a couple in US, a bit more in France, and uh, you know one or two in every uh, like uh, other bigger country we have. It's uh, Netherlands and so on. We have, uh, I believe, one or two unsolved uh, cases, uh, and they both actually are in the same uh, category. The device was inside of a motorcycle, but it wasn't installed. So this is like the, the, the you know, the worst part of our uh, job, actually.
0: What do you mean not installed?
1: Meaning the person just, you know, unboxed, unpacked the, the Morimoto device and uh, didn't even, you know, uh, download the Morimoto app, just threw it into the uh-huh. motorcycle and said, okay, oh. he or she, and they were hoping it, it works, you know, well.
0: Right. So oh, I see we can't expect that. So but you've, so you've had success rates. I mean, you've had success rather people have had their bike stolen and they've managed to track it with the app and then get their bike back.
1: Wow. in some cases they got more bikes than they lost <laughs> it's like <laughs> <I'll bet. laughs> well you know in, in uk we had a case when when they you know the the motorcycle owner was very persistent so police were like saying okay we don't have any uh, anyone you know to come uh, to you within uh, like a uh, few hours time and he was like okay i'm going to you know trace back by my car uh, you know keeping some distance and then I'm, I'm i'm i will keep you know on informing you so in the end uh, this person managed to to you know wait for police for a few hours, and then when they got to this uh, uh, garage, they found I don't know seven motorcycles in it or so, and they, all of them were stolen. <laughs> so wow. that that was the you know the the really uh, nice story. You know the ending was nice.
0: Yeah. In this case. Yeah. You you were talking about the difference between trackers that people are often used to, like if they had a spot tracker or if you had an in-reach or something like that, it's often, you know, it's sending out whatever your intervals are, you know, seconds, minutes, whatever it is. And your device doesn't do that. Your device waits until it gets the indication that it's being stolen, meaning that it senses movement and the key fob is not there. At that point, that's when it starts pinging. So... It, when when it starts pinging, how long can it last for? Now, I know this is going to depend on whether you just put it in with that fresh battery, but um, do you have an, an average case use? I mean, is, is it going to transmit for two weeks or or is it just a day or how does it work?
1: First of all, Jim, thanks for putting it all together. I'm not a native English speaker, <laughs> so you put it, everything so neat and, you know, uh, nice together. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is no straight answer for that, as you said. It's it depends on the initial, you know, uh, initial, uh, you know, capacity of batteries, you know, it, when it starts. So it can be already on a fifty percent level or so. So, but just to give you an idea, uh, and it's purely mathematical, uh, you know, uh, calculation that it should be about forty-eight hours, and it's uh, again theoretical calculations based on on you know math. Could be as long as 70 uh, something hours, could be 36 hours. But here is the thing you know, we are not wasting energy. And, you know, the, the whole, I would say, uh, success that we had is based on, on uh, gathering, you know, the, the exact use cases and, and building the algorithms uh, on, on, on them. So let's say your bike got stolen. So the thing is that it's not about to move for the next 48 hours nonstop. Right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You so mean when somebody steals
0: it, they get it back to wherever they're going to, you mean?
1: Well, you know, it's it's going to be stopping uh, somewhere at some garage. Maybe it will be dropped somewhere, like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, a few miles away from the uh, point of, uh, you know, theft. Mm-hmm. So we are not wasting energy when it's uh, stopped. So, you know, you have the l- last, uh, you know, GPS location or GSM uh, approximate location, of the thing and then if it's not moving so we are going to standby uh, alarm mode which oh. says okay hi i'm stopped and i'll be pinging you back within like 30 minutes uh, you know or so and i'm now going back to sleep so this is you know how we save the energy uh, the power so i have a friend of mine who is traveling in europe a lot and he's uh, you know playing this thing he's buying a bunch of batteries and when when he's going to let's say Italy to do you know the the mountain rides, so he's uh, uh, inserting Morimoro into his bike and not you know leaving the the proximity key around. So in essence, what it means, he's tracking how the uh, motorcycle is is you know traveling to Italy from uh, from north of Europe. So it's about I would say two to well in, in miles that about one and a half thousand miles I believe. So. And it takes about uh, two days to travel. So, but you know the batteries are fully on—not not fully, but they are still on when they reach Italy because you know the truck driver he stops at some—you know—he uh, makes like two or three stops, I believe, you know, to 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 rest and then to to uh, to sleep. So during these uh, you know prolonged uh, uh, stops, the device is uh, sleeping as well. So it's uh, saving battery. Uh, as well and uh, you know this is how we can expect it to be not uh, hours or days we could you know do it like weeks or even months in this case and the the most common scenario uh, in in theft in is uh, as i said it's like uh, you know one way is to to search around within the radius of like 10 miles it will be most likely you know dropped somewhere with the battery main battery cut off and uh, then the thieves are just monitoring if it's uh there if it's not uh, having any trackers or so and it, they are living in that place for like two weeks or or, or a bit more and um, the other other thing is like disassembling immediately so that's uh, something which is like uh, well this is something that we cannot uh, guarantee to take care about so if it's like professionals i guess no one can help
0: but that's that's pretty ingenious i like that so it doesn't waste his time transmitting at the same spot saying i'm still here i'm still here i'm still here it's saving the battery for if it gets moved again so um even if somebody takes it apart i mean if it goes to a chop shop or something that's going to be your last location you're going to see that's where it went and there's your chance at at getting it back. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow, well done. I mean that uh, that sounds like uh, quite the device. And there's a lot that goes into this in in the background. I mean, you, when you look at it, you think, oh, that seems pretty simple at transmits a, a GPS location by satellite. But but speaking to you now, you realize just how many variables there are to to be concerned with. Not to mention the obvious ones like battery life um, and all that sort of thing. So that's um, that's very interesting. Bruno, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking your time and explaining Monimoto.
1: Thanks, Jim, for uh, having me here on your show. And I really appreciate, like, you put it all together, as I said. And, uh, you know, thanks for uh, helping me to, to, to communicate, you know, our own products <laughs> to the world.
0: My pleasure. Bruno Rimkunis is one of the three founders of Monimoto in Lithuania. Their website is monimoto.com. And of course, that link, along with some photos and more information, is in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. We did an episode back in 2015 on our ARR Raw show, separate show, separate subscription. The episode was called Motorcycle and Gear Security for Travel. It was back in November 2015, where we discussed a bunch of different ways to prevent theft while traveling. Now, you can find that link in the show notes for this episode also, along with the other links that we have in there. And to wrap this up, I, I thought we'd end with some security tips or some securing tips from the Met, the Motor, the Metropolitan Police in London, UK, who are very experienced in dealing with motorcycle theft. They recommend things like the disc lock, which Bill Taylor mentioned earlier, uh, a grip lock, which secures the brake and throttle controls, a D-lock used on the front wheel, which is a, a large lock used in the front wheel, a chain Put through the back wheel, Um, as Bill Taylor mentioned, uh, locking that front wheel can be problematic because it can be easily removed and even have a a thief can even show up with the wheel to match your bike or some wheel that will fit your bike. Remove the ignition keys, obviously. Use a steering lock. You can mark your bike. There's, a, there's Apparently, there's a system with a, a tiny micro dot, like a, about the size of a grain of sand, that has a personal uh, identifier on it. And you can't really see these with your eyes. You need a magnifying glass, or you can see them with uh, UV light. But uh, these, are, these are things that mark all the different spots on your bike, so your tank, and your swing arm, things like that. That's more to, to recover parts afterwards. I know we'd rather recover the whole bike, of course. Re- recovering the parts afterwards may be a moot point, but it depends on what your bike is. That may be uh, of value to you putting your motorcycle out of sight, storing it in the shed, especially one outfitted with an alarm or or something like that, or even movement sensors uh, or lights that turn on with movement outside. That's a great way to do it because it does deter people. I think one of the best bangs for your buck, like for the money spent is a cover, just covering your motorcycle, wherever it is it just out of sight, out of mind. It just removes that, that visual temptation Now, there's more trackers out there than the ones we discussed on this episode, but those discussions should give you an insight into the potential of a tracking system. And, uh, of course, from there, you can search around and see what else you can find. I would recommend going with a proper tracking system, though, rather than just one of these ones that you can buy. Apparently, there's a lot of them you can buy online that you track yourself. I think you'll get a lot more respect from the police, and that's what I've been told as well by using a a proper system and maybe even having the company deal with the police with you. So that may help out. up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin and to you the listener thank you very much for being a part of this hey we need your support if you're not doing it already the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work drop by our website AdventureRiderRadio.com, and click on support well now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can my name is jim martin thank you very much for listening i'll talk to you next week I'm Jimmy Lewis and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.